God, God, thank you so much for your presence in this place. We love you, and uh, we're here to, to worship you. We're here to be with you. God, this morning, uh, yeah, you hear me talk. My throat is, is not great right now. I have a frog in my throat. God, I pray that you would just not allow that to, to make a difference in the words coming out of my mouth this morning. Let the words coming out of my mouth not be my words, but let them be your words for your people on your day because this is all about you. And if it's not, we're here for nothing, God. And I pray that you would just speak through me and speak through your word. Let it change us and shape us and challenge us today as we read about the church. How we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, we've, uh, we've been on quite the journey here uh, over the last few months. We've been walking through Scripture, walking through the Old Testament and the New Testament. Uh, and really, my, my hope and my prayer over these last three or four months as we've been walking through Scripture is this. My hope is that you would, you would begin to just see the Scripture maybe in, in just new, fresh ways, right? Not that the Bible doesn't change. The Bible hasn't changed in, in, in years and years and years, but just to be able to read it through new eyes and through fresh eyes, to be able to see, see new things in there, to see what God is teaching you and how He can shape you through the Word. And my prayer has been that you would find a passion for the story of God. And not only a passion that changes you, but, but changes your life so that as you become a, a multiplier, you become a disciple who makes disciples, and as we begin to, to tell the story of God, that it would not come from a place of just head knowledge, but it would come from a place deep within our hearts, that it is something, it's, it's, this is who we are. We are a part of this story. I'm, I'm passionate about this story. I hope you can tell that. Right? And I, I want that same passion in your lives as we go out and we and we multiply as we become disciples who make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. And this is what it's really all about. That's been my prayer this whole time. And so we've, we've been on quite a journey. But over the last few weeks, we've been talking through the New Testament. Uh, we started the New Testament talking about Jesus and, and the Great Commission. And last week, we talked about the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit's role in our lives and how he moves in us and how he, how he moves through us and how he empowers us. And we left off last week with Acts 1.8. Acts 1.8. If, if you would turn there with me real quick, we're just going to kind of recap and flow right into what we're talking about this morning. Acts, Acts 1.8. This is Jesus. These are Jesus' last words in the Bible. And here's what he says. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in, in Jerusalem and Judea, and Samaria, and to the very ends of the earth. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. We put ourselves in the disciples' shoes a little bit last week of, of kind of thinking about how is it better that Jesus leaves? How is it better that, that Jesus says in John, it's better that I go because if I don't go, then I, then I can't give you the advocate. But if I go, then I'll leave you the advocate. The Holy Spirit will come. And, and we talked last week about why it was better that Jesus left so that the Holy Spirit could be with each and every one of us. But put yourself in the disciples' shoes this morning as, as they hear these words. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You can imagine these disciples thinking, okay, I have no idea what this means. <laughs> right? I have no idea what to expect. What am I expecting here? I'm going to receive power. This is cool. But what does this look like? And then the day of Pentecost comes in Acts chapter 2. And I just want to, I just want to read together this morning. Chapter 2 and then to the end of chapter 2 we'll focus on. Well, let's just read together. Starting at, starting at verse 1 here. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. 
And suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment. What sound did they hear? They, sound the, they heard the, the sound of the blowing of a violent wind. When they heard this sound, they came, <clears throat> they came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Virga, and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, Cretans, and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they've had too much wine. They're a little bit drunk, right? Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour my spirit on people, on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest in hope because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. You will not let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. Fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently the patriarch David died and was buried and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, and he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it, exalted to the right hand of God. He has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the, cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive a gift of the, Holy, the, the gift of the Holy Spirit. 
The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, from all whom the Lord God will call. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this coming generation, this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Man, this is the power of the Holy Spirit. Power of the Holy Spirit comes on Peter, and Peter preaches. Peter just just preaches the gospel like this is just a, this is an amazing sermon. If I could just preach this sermon every week, man, oh man, I would be happy with that, right? This is the gospel, and Peter just preaches it, calls people to repent, calls people to be baptized, calls people to to ask for forgiveness from their sins, and it says thousands were added to their number day. Thousands were added to their number that day. This is awesome. This is the power of the Spirit. And what we have here is the birth of the church, which is what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about the church. And, and I want you to, I, I read all of this in chapter 2, and we started with 1 8 because I want you to see that apart from the Holy Spirit, the church really is nothing. The church has no grounds without the Holy Spirit's power in it. Yes, we all believe in Jesus Christ. We believe that Jesus Christ came and lived the life we couldn't live and died the death that we deserve to die so that we could have eternal life with him forever. We believe that. That is the foundation of the church. But the church was established through the power of the Holy Spirit as thousands were added to their number. But what does this church look like? What is the church that is empowered by the Holy Spirit look like? Well, we don't have to read very far. Start at verse 42 here. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Can you imagine a church empowered by the Holy Spirit and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This is what a church empowered by the Holy Spirit looks like. So what were they doing to be able to do this? What was it that they were doing? Well, this verse 42 says they were devoted to four different things. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching. Now, what were the apostles teaching? They were teaching the gospel. What did they know? They knew Jesus Christ. They walked with him. They talked with him. They saw the miracles. They saw everything that he did, and they, they heard the lessons that he taught them. What are they teaching? They're teaching the gospel. They're teaching Jesus Christ. They're going through the Old Testament like we just saw Peter do on a couple of occasions, going to Joel and going to David. They, we saw they're going to the Old Testament talking about how Jesus fulfilled all of the prophecies in the Old Testament. Right, the, apostles te- the apostles are teaching the gospel. These, the, the early church was devoted to the gospel of Jesus Christ. They were devoted to fellowship. Now, we, I think, in the church have hijacked that word a little bit. Fellowship is, is uh, synonymous sometimes with food in the church. And it's just not, it's not right. It's not, it's not the way it is. That is part of fellowship. Part of fellowship is being together eating together, right? That's part of it. But fellowship is just, just being on the same page together. 
loving each other truly, deeply, intimately, loving each other, mourning with people who are mourning, rejoicing with people who are rejoicing, going after the same goals, the same vision, the same mission together. This is what it means to be in fellowship, to, to really, truly, intimately know each other, to be with each other. It's, not, it's, it's more than just food. It's more than just having a potluck or something like that. It's, it's much deeper than that. Fellowship is about just, just being together and loving each other and going towards the same thing together. It's about being together. They devoted themselves to one another, basically. And not because they felt like they should, there, there, was, there, was, there wasn't a sense of duty here. It wasn't that we should be together because that's just what we're supposed to do. Right, we get the sense from the rest of this that, that they weren't doing it just because they, they were supposed to. They did it because they, they really, truly loved each other. And they really, truly wanted to see people come and know Christ. This is what it means to be in fellowship. They devoted themselves to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, now, again, this is food, right? But I think it's deeper than food. I think he's, this, the authors here, Luke, is talking about the communion that the church is, is centered around, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ that we're called to, to remember, that whenever you take this cup and whenever you eat this bread, do this in remembrance of me. This is, that they're, they're, they're breaking the bread together. And yes, that's eating. They're sharing meals together. This is, it even says here, they're, they're, they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, right? They, they definitely ate meals together, but that's a deeper thing. They shared communion. They shared, what, what is this? They shared a common, uh, common core of who they were, right? They were devoted to that core. They were devoted to, to Jesus Christ and his sacrifice for them and living as though that mattered to them. And lastly, they were devoted to prayer. They were devoted to prayer. And I think this is, they, they, they had this sense that it was so important to pray together. So important to get together as a group and as a church, as an early church, and, and just pray. You move into Acts chapter 4, and uh, Peter and John are, are out preaching the gospel, Right? And the Sanhedrin don't really like what's going on, and so they get arrested. Peter and John aren't going to stop what they're doing, but they let them go, and they say, hey, you can go, but you need to stop doing this. And so where do they go? In Acts chapter 4, verse 23, on release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported, and by their own people they mean the church, they went back to the church and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. And then if you skip down with me to verse 29, they're praying together, right? What do they do? They, they pray together. And here's what happens. Now, Lord, consider, this is their prayer. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak with great boldness. Stretch your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. They get out of jail. Where do they go first? They go to the other believers. And what's the first thing they do? They pray. And what do they pray for? Man, God, thank you so much for getting them out of jail. God, thank you so much for not letting it be too rough for them in there. God, thank you so much for that. No, they didn't pray that. God, would you give us words to say, would we be able to preach the word of God boldly? 
That's their prayer. And it says the word of God, that, that, that the house shook and the Holy Spirit came. And they all went and they did what? They preached the word of God boldly. Why did, why did this happen? Because they, they were a community that was committed to praying with each other. They were devoted to the gospel. They were devoted to one another. They were devoted to, to the core of who we are, the breaking of bread, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. They were devoted to prayer. And what ends up happening is, is just amazing, right? Everyone was filled with awe, everyone talking about those who are not in this community, everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property, possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to the number daily those who were being saved. Amen. Daily. Amen. You just turn, it's a page in my Bible, chapter 4 again. Chapter 4, verse 32. And I want you to hear this. This is another important part of the early church. All the believers were one in heart and mind. That's pretty amazing right there. Because there's probably, what, 40, 50 of us in this room right now, and I don't think we could agree on, on where to go to lunch. But all the believers are in one heart and one mind. No one claimed that any of the possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. And with great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all, that there were no needy persons among them. It continues to go on a story here, but I want to stop there. What is, what is this picture that we're seeing here? We're seeing a church that is devoted to the gospel. We're seeing a church that's devoted to each other. We're seeing a church that is devoted to, to the core of who they are, to the breaking of bread, to this, this communion, this, this remembering of Jesus' Jesus' sacrifice. We're seeing a church that is committed together to to pray. What are we seeing? We're seeing a church that is united. This is what the early church had going for them, right? They had the unity. They were all one, one heart and one mind. None of them even had possessions that were their own, right? They, they gave up everything for the sake of everyone. This is, this, is, this is unity. This is a picture of unity. And all throughout Scripture, we get the sense that God is calling us to unity. God is calling us to be together and to be for one another and with one another. God is calling the church to be, to be united. Right? You go to Romans chapter 15 with me. Just one, one book over. Romans chapter 15, starting at verse 5. And Paul, Paul has this prayer for, for the church in Rome. And this is a prayer that he prayed. May the God who gives endurance... 15.5 is where I'm at. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. What is this mind that, that Jesus had? What, are, what is he talking What is Paul talking about here? He goes on in verse 7. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. Now, I don't know about you. Well, I do know about you. But Christ accepted me while I was still in my sins. 
while I was still in some addictive patterns, while I was still running my life in a way that I shouldn't run it, I was still accepted by Christ. And you were too. See, and in a united church, everyone is accepted. No matter what is going on in their lives. No matter what they've gone through. No matter how much money they have. No matter how much education they have. No matter how much anything they have. Everyone is accepted. Why? Because we're all one. We're all united. We get a little more insight into Jesus' mind for the church in John chapter 20. (coughs) Sorry. John chapter 17, verse 20. And here's what he says. Jesus, again, is praying. Paul was praying for believers. Jesus is praying for believers. My prayer is not for them alone. He's talking about his disciples. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. Who's that? That's me and that's you. Jesus is praying for you and me. And he says that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I've given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, so that in them, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Why? Then the world will know that you sent me, and have loved them even as you have loved me. I love that. Then the world will will know. Why, why should the church be united? First of all, to give glory to God is what Paul says in Romans 15. But Jesus says here in, in John 17, why, why be united? Why? So that the world may know. So that the world may know that, that, <clears throat> that you sent me. And that the world may know that I have loved them just you love them just like you love me, Jesus said. So why to be united? Why? Because, well, first of all, we give glory to God. Second of all, so the world will know that God not only sent his son, Jesus Christ, but that God loves them with that same love that he loves his son, Jesus Christ. They will see it through our love. They will see it through our unity. So what does this even mean for you and me? What does it mean for you and me to be a united church, to follow the example of the early church in Acts chapter 2? What does that even look like for you and me? Well, we need to be devoted to the gospel. We need to be devoted to to the gospel, to this story that we've been going over for the last four months. We need to be be devoted to to this Jesus Christ. The fact that Jesus came and he lived the life we couldn't live and he died the death that we deserve to die so that we might live eternally with him forever. And this gospel is not just for you and for me. Right? When, they, when, when the early church was devoted to this gospel, daily people were being saved. Not just every once in a while. Not every few years. Daily people were being saved as the church was being devoted to the gospel. We need to be devoted to this gospel. We need to know the story. We need to be passionate about this story. Every single one of you has a story. You have a story about how God has, has acted in your life. About where you used to be and where you are now. 
Maybe that story is only half written. Maybe you, maybe you can only tell the story of where you've been, but you're not quite sure where God's taking you yet. That's fine. That's still your story. Be passionate about your story because God can use your story. God can use the gospel to reach anybody and daily those who are being saved. We need to be devoted to each other, to the fellowship. We need to love each other. We need to be with each other. We need to know each other. I'm talking about know each other. Not just know each other, but know each other. We had this a long time ago. We talked about this. We need to know each other on a deeper level, not just on a, hey, how's it going? I'm doing good. Thanks for asking kind of way. But hey, how's it going? Well, it's not going too good. Well, let me sit down with you for a few minutes. Let's talk about this. How can I pray for you? How can I be with you? We need to, to be rejoicing with those who rejoice. We need to be mourning with those who mourn. We need to love each other on a deep level because we all have the same thing in mind. We're all going towards the same goal. We're all going for, for the kingdom of God to come, that we would be disciples making disciples, that daily there would be those who are being saved because they see the love in our fellowship. We need to be devoted to the core of who we are, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. We don't take communion as often as we should, probably. And that's my fault. But we need to be devoted to this this core of who we are. That Jesus came and he died, not just for me, but for you and for the world. John 3.16 is very real. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That whoever believes in me, not just whoever's sitting in a pew on Sunday, but whoever believes in me will have eternal life. We need to be devoted to prayer. We need to pray with one another and pray for one another. That's what this looks like. That's what this looks like. And, and what, what ends up happening is the world will know. I've said this before and I'll say it again. I think the world is sick and tired of hearing about the love of God. I think they need to be shown the love of God. They want to see it. And if they can't see it in the church, where are they going to see it? We need to be united as a church. Follow the example of the early church and what happens daily. The Lord added to their number those who are being saved. And I want you to hear this, that, that it's not daily Pastor Chris added to their number those who are being saved. Daily Jordan and Edith and, and, and everyone here. Daily Fresno First Church added to their number daily those who are being saved. No, daily the Lord added to their number those who are being saved. As we are faithful, as we're devoted to what we need to be devoted to, as we, as we follow the way that God has for us, there will be those being saved every single day. That is the kingdom right there. That is the goal. That is the gospel right there. I think when we realize that, we realize, we realize how far we are from them. Right? We realize how far we've come and that how far we need to get back. But I, get, I tell you what, it starts today and it starts with one step. I'm going to be devoted today. I'm going to be devoted today. I'm going to be devoted today. On Monday, I'm going to be devoted today. On Tuesday, I'm going to be devoted today. On Wednesday, I'm going to be devoted today because this is what it takes to be the church. This is what we're called to. And this is the kind of church that Fresno First Church will be. A church that's devoted to the gospel 
and devoted to each other. Devoted to the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Whether that, maybe we'll eat together too. And devoted to praying. This is who we are. This is what it takes. And it starts today. Let's pray. God, we love you. And we are, uh, once again, just so thankful for you. So thankful for your presence in our lives. So thankful for the gift of your son, Jesus. So thankful for your grace and your mercy and your love that is so evident every single day for us. God, today we, we commit together to be the church that you called us to be. To take our cues from the early church and be devoted to, to the apostles' teaching, and to, to the fellowship, and to the breaking of bread, and to prayer, to be devoted to, to one another, to be devoted to the gospel. God, and we know that as we do that, you will be faithful, and you will add to our number daily those who are being saved. God, this is our dream, this is our desire, to be the church that you called us to be. Would you help us as we go? Would you go ahead of us this week? Would you be in our conversations? Would you be in our homes, in our workplaces? Would you be with us where we are, that we might be a light for you? And God, we pray the same prayer as Acts chapter 4. Would you give us boldness this week to preach the gospel, to, to, to talk about you, to talk about how you've changed our lives, how you've acted in our lives, God? Would you give us boldness this week to tell our story? God, we love you. And we give you all the praise and all the glory and all the honor in this place. It all belongs to you. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Will you stand with me? I want to just give you a blessing like we do every week. Just, uh, you just receive this. Just hold out your hands receive this blessing from God this morning. May the God of peace and love and joy, may he go ahead of you and with you as you go. May he give you boldness and may you make a difference in your world because God is with you. Go in peace. Amen and amen.